Hello and welcome to a special podcast on the rapidly developing situation with the coronavirus outbreak. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined by Greg Lance Watkins. In this podcast, we'll be asking, what is the coronavirus? Has the Chinese government reacted appropriately? In Western countries, what can citizens and governments do? How serious could this potentially become? And at some point, probably not this time, is a serious pandemic inevitable? Greg, we first heard reports of this coronavirus around about a week ago. And my gut instinct is to avoid sensationalism and to avoid spreading panic and alarm. The aspect of this that gives me most concern is that the incubation period is so long. You can go for many days showing no symptoms whatsoever or appear to have nothing more than a mild cold. Do you think that the reaction of the Chinese government by quarantining such large numbers of people over such a vast area has been the correct one? I think it's safer for us in that anything we say will be guessing because I don't think governments know the answer to any of the questions and they definitely wouldn't know what spin they'd want to put on it at this stage. And believe you me, there will be a spin on it one way or the other, whether it turns out to be a serious outbreak or a mild one. Therefore, I'd rather approach it not from the point of view of giving you um, my best guess, because that can only prove to be ridiculous one way or the other eventually. But let's look at a few facts. Wuhan is a city of 11 million people. And as soon as the Chinese were aware that this outbreak has occurred, and I say outbreak, that there were cases of coronavirus, they shut the city down, a city larger than London. Now, let's look back over coronavirus. The first, I think most of us were aware of it, was SARS, uh, which was, as I recall, bird flu. And that was in 2003. Uh, Hang on. The SARS was slightly before bird flu because I remember where I was. I'm not going to bore people with the details of my life. I remember where I was when the SARS outbreak happened. I think bird flu was a separate thing that happened about a year later. I think SARS came out... Uh, Well, I know SARS came out in 2003. Hmm. That may well have been uh, the SARS coronavirus uh, that manifest from birds. Hmm. Now, I'm not certain on that, but um, that showed up as 774 deaths recorded eventually. Let us remember that as a result of that virus, just that one outbreak that killed 774 people, the global economy took a 40 billion pound hit. So it doesn't take much to put a fairly bold shockwave through the system. Then we had, I think, the birds flu continuation of SARS. And then the next coronavirus outbreak was MERS, which was Middle Eastern um, something or other syndrome. Uh, That killed 858 people. 
the latest version of coronavirus is called novel or novel the novel coronavirus that is the one that is being experienced at the moment and within just a couple of days of the realization of its existence some 80 people have died in china right i can tell you exactly where we are with this at this moment in time when we're recording this podcast early on very early on tuesday morning uk time there have so far been in china 81 deaths 2827 confirmed cases 5794 suspected cases there are currently 461 people in a critical condition and 51 people have recovered and been discharged from hospital. Now, the aspect of this that is giving me most concern is there are people who have been in this part of China who have travelled quite innocently back to where they came from or from that part of China on holiday or for business elsewhere in the world and have found out who are containing this virus, but the symptoms may not even show for many days yet, even though they've been home a week or so. It is a fairly good chance, wherever you live in the world, there is somebody in your country who has got the novel coronavirus. Oh, I think it's highly likely indeed. Uh, We've seen reports that in France they think there might have been. There was talk in Scotland the other day, there might have been. Inevitably, anywhere where there's someone who's been in this district of China, Wuhan and the surrounding province... (laughs) Well, that's every country in the world, more or less. There'll be somebody who's been there. Uh, True. But what we need to look at is tomorrow the figures will be up. It'll be how much are they up by. It is likely to be a 50% increase tomorrow, but it is likely to be a 100% increase on that figure total the day after, and then it could start growing exponentially. Now, the question, therefore, is China is... You, you didn't go... Let's, let's go back to that. Let's, let's go back before we go forward. Do you think that the Chinese government has handled things so far correctly? Uh, I think they've handled it correctly. However, they may not have done it in time. And I also think to introduce into this equation at this time... Some four years ago, uh, it became known that Wuhan City, as opposed to Wubei, which is the province, Wuhan City had opened a viral research facility, a large one, and that they took off from a standing start and have so far locked down somewhere between 50 and 80 million people. And by lockdown, uh, many of you will have seen the television pictures in the streets of near-empty streets and four-lane highways with no vehicles on them. Yes, and it's been announced this evening that the Chinese government has extended the, uh, the Chinese New Year holiday by a week simply because they don't want people out and about. And they don't want them going back to um, relating to other groups at their place of work, at the moment, at least they're in family units Mm. uh, to a large extent. But the 
scary thing about the Wuhan research is that in 2017, the USA said they were not happy about this facility in terms of biosecurity. Now, the fact that (laughs) that was said, and we very rapidly afterwards, a couple of years, have a situation where a virus manifests fairly big time in Wuhan, where the facility is, and the Chinese government very rapidly put it on lockdown, I think should give us pause for thought. Chinese have done the right thing in locking down areas of the country. Why is it then that the mainstream media is not reporting that fact that you just stated? Uh, I have no idea, but... Um, The mainstream media can't be relied on for news. Um, They no longer do news. They do gossip. Well, we saw um, just last night how how the BBC did manage to confuse Kobe Bryant with LeBron James uh, in a gross act of insensitivity on uh, their main evening news bulletin yesterday. So we know all about that. They can't even get the basics right these days, it seems to me. So let me move the discussion on a little bit then. Supposing now in four, five, six days' time, because it could take that long even now, somebody in France or Scotland or London or Dublin or wherever is showing signs of this. How would you advise a Western government to respond? Would we need the same scale of lockdowns as we're seeing in Wuhan? I would say immediately uh, addressing the individual if they feel unwell and there is any reason to believe that they could have been in touch with somebody from Wuhan or had themselves come from China, uh, that they should immediately phone their GP and point out that there is a possibility they've been exposed and they believe they are showing symptoms. It is not for the individual to make any form of clinical judgment. They must react on the assumption that a bad cold and a cough, if they've had the exposure, could be lethal. Let the medical world take over from there. I think then it will be up to the the government uh, in cahoots with... um, medicine and hospitals uh, to introduce such measures as are needed. But yes, I think if there is reason to believe that the virus has spread beyond that person through contacts, or there's any reason to believe that, they should lock down. Now, let us look back to the last pandemic that um, we're realistically aware of, And that was the Spanish flu at the end of the First World War. That was a flu which uh, was a virus which is thought to have spread from pigs to human beings in a hospital facility. But bear in mind, it was a war hospital. So standards of hygiene, the amount of serious open wounds, uh, some of the injuries the mortality rate uh, from um, open injuries uh, and the difficulties of transport of food for that that many people meant that pigs and chickens would have been living in facilities that have been 
thrown together at the hospital site. And so cross-contamination was almost inevitable. And the disease, Spanish flu, is thought to have jumped from pigs to humans via the hospital facility in about 1917. And it built up. And at the end of the war, with people going all over Europe, some going home, some running away, some fleeing to other countries to escape justice, and many going back to their countries uh, once the war was over, uh, led to tremendous numbers of uh, refugees leaving and moving around. And when you think roughly one and three quarter million soldiers in returned to Britain, which had a population of about 35 million at the time, that that outbreak is thought to have killed more people than were killed in the First World War. That is, is an astonishing, that is an astonishing figure, it really is, and it's not something that's widely known. But the, the wider point here is that neither Greg nor I is saying that we think this coronavirus is going to turn into something anything like as drastic as that. But the point I would make is this, and it's that we, in terms of the history of the world and the history of mankind, we are long overdue a very nasty virus that will wipe out huge numbers of people. If you look at the, the example Greg has just given from 1970. Well, take the preceding example, which was the Black Death, which killed 40% of the entire population of Europe. Yes, and... Now, please don't think that we're saying this will happen this time. What we're saying is sooner or later it will, and it could be this time. And nobody will know until this time is over. So be optimistic, be realistic. It is unlikely to be this time because luck's always on our side, as long as you keep smiling and whistling a happy tune. But be aware that we currently have a society, taking Britain alone, where food, we hold food in a condition for marketing for approximately nine days. And the first day on which someone goes to the supermarket and finds that, that they are out of some essential commodity, like a supply of avocados for Wokes, we will find there will be a rush on the supermarkets. Well, never mind our avocados. We have another thing in this country, and I think I can give two examples of this. Every time it snows and the fuel strike of September 2000, I remember very well people panic-bought bread. And I yep. remember thinking at that time, actually, and I remember my neighbour saying to me as well, have you got bread? Well, yes, I did have bread, but even if I'd run out of bread, there's plenty in the cupboard, in the fridge or in the freezer that I could have anyway. But people have Only for two to three days. Well, the free, I, got plenty, I got enough in the freezer to keep me going for weeks if necessary. No, you haven't. Of course I have. No. How long do you think you'll stay with electricity when people start dropping like ah, flies? Ah, that's different. That's different. What you're saying <laughs> is different. I'm talking about the general reaction where you might be snowed in for a week or we had this, the fuel strike situation of 2000, which I know you know a lot about because you were involved in your own way and all that. But you were appearing on the radio at the time, as I recall. Um, I was. Yep. 
What I'm saying is that we have a reaction in this country for some peculiar reason every time there's any form of inconvenience to go out and panic buy bread, where I can go for many days without buying bread. And even if I, going back to your point, even if what you're saying is correct about electricity being knocked off, well, bread only lasts a week or so anyway. So that it's a peculiar thing to do, but it's a very British thing to do. But the, the point being on that is that it could be the case that we need to be prepared in case something like this ever happens. Now, some of the world's great faiths have a theory. Uh, I know Mormonism believes in this, but they're not the only ones, that you should always have, um, I think it's three months' supply worth of food in your home at any one time. Is that advice you buy into? Uh, yes and no. It is theoretically a wonderful idea. However, very few people will be able to afford to do that. Uh, even less will have had the perspicacity to do that. And it would not be more than three or four days before you would have marauding gangs coming and collecting it out of your cupboard. Um, people, when they start, not they will base it not on themselves, but on their family needing to eat. They'll go about three days without eating, but then they start to take drastic measures. And what I'm really saying here is we are building an incredibly fragile society with our dependence on technology in all directions. Now, at the end of the First World War, people were relatively used to deprivation. Earlier than that, most of them, in one way or another, or member of family, lived on the land, uh, either as uh, workers on farms or in contact with direct food sources. Nowadays, uh, <laughs> very, very few people would have access to food other than through the supermarket shelves. And when they become empty, which would be very rapid, you would find that you would have people marauding, looking for people who had food. Yeah, but I think it goes even deeper than that. Everything you've just said is correct. And I know through my, I remember my grandfather had a large back garden and he grew vegetables on it right up until the end of his life in the late 1990s. And that was the norm for his generation. What you're saying goes even further than you just stated. Like, for example, you and I did a podcast two weeks ago about how there's a surplus of warehouses. And you came up with that idea for putting storage containers in there to house the homeless. Um, by the way, if you haven't heard that podcast, I'd highly recommend it. Um, Greg came up with a very good idea, and we had quite a lively discussion about that. Yeah, so and to take that further, I've been on to uh, Reese, a company called Reese Co Limited UK, um, and uh, they produce um, shipping containers and modified shipping containers, and I'm when I get around to it, I have a meeting scheduled with uh, Steve, who is the MD. We've had a chat on the phone, and I'm hoping to have more details on that. Well, that that's good. We'll do keep us posted, and we'll return to that in our regular 20-minute topic series in due course, I'm sure. But the point being on, on the issue of surplus warehouses... There's a reason there are so many surplus warehouses today. And I, I don't think most people really appreciate the extent to which supermarkets and technology are so automated. 
like they know when you at the checkout and you may even be at the self-service checkout when you are bleeping through your tins of beans their computer knows how many are left on the shelf and their computer knows when they get down to x number left on the shelf at head off at the head warehouse not head office the head head warehouse they know they need to send another load in the next lorry coming to that superstore and even the lorry drivers have just on time deliveries so that there's not actually that much storage place in the store themselves everything is much more technologically coordinated than people realize so a rush on any product under unusual circumstances would hugely damage this very delicate supply balance and it's something people need to be aware of further to take that further marcus um i know the warehouse for tesco's and uh as you are ordering they are making up the cages of replacements in the warehouse to go out on the lorry at the normal set time so that it arrives at the same time every day making up the entire stock again yeah so that is how delicate food supplies now are in this country which is why we actually need fewer regional warehouses than we did 20 30 years ago certainly so I can see how the food supply would be vulnerable if if there was a, a rush on or a panic on because of this virus. Now, one final point. There's lots of talk on the news about this mythical climate change emergency. There is a much bigger emergency that concerns me hugely, and that is that I'm 36 years of age. I'm increasingly of the view that my generation, particularly in our old age, will have to live with the reality that antibiotics are no longer doing their job. And if we are confronted with a virus like this that may not even seem that severe, and antibiotics are no longer working, we are going to have huge problems. Do you think we're heading for big problems with antibiotic resistance wearing off? I think one of the biggest problems we currently have, and it may seem strange, one of the biggest problems we have is climate change. And the reason why it's a big problem is our climate changes and always changes. What does, has changed this time is a collection of sharp practice, dishonest and corrupt individuals have seen this as a way to make money and to tax and manage people. And they are in, determined to make money out of it so far Uh, More than 10 new billionaires have been created in supplying into the non-event of climate change. It's not something mankind is responsible for. Mankind doesn't create it. And mankind is not competent, does not have the skills and does not have the understanding to be able to do anything about it. We haven't yet worked out how we can have a conversation with the sun and say, please don't shine so much. So the danger point is that we are wasting billions upon billions on mythical schemes and scams to line the pockets of people who are already wealthy in the name of climate change. Go and look at people like Greta Thunberg, who are puppets managed by some of the wealthiest individuals on the planet 
including George Soros and Bill Gates, who are in the background funding her. Now, that is our danger. This means that money that could be spent on providing far more secure structures for our food and necessities, far better education so that people would be able to understand and deal with these situations, and medical research so that we would be in a position where we could be certain to do something about a, the next pandemic to come along, as opposed to sitting here knowing full well that even if they discovered the antivirus for um, novel uh, coronavirus, if they discovered it today, it would take well over a year to produce it adequately to distribute it to the people who had survived so far. Right, and a final point then. There's something else that concerns me every time there's a health scare nowadays, and that is online conspiracy theorists. I can guarantee, I haven't checked this, but I bet my bottom dollar this is going to happen, that that man David Icke, who was once a very capable sports broadcaster, if he's not done it already, he'll soon be saying that this norovirus was started deliberately by governments to try and reduce drastically global populations. Um, and then it's only going to be round about that time I'll start seeing posters on other people's Facebook walls saying this is all deliberate and they're planning a vaccine which is designed to turn us into aliens or Martians or control us in some way. I bet you any money... David Icke and his associates are going to be spreading that rumour before we know it, and it's something people need to be wary of, fake news and false information. Well, to take that one step further, already it's being quoted in uh, as Agenda 21, which is a United Nations agenda for population control that has recently been updated as Agenda 30, and this is an overall aim in research and discussion stage of managing a population some 60% lower than our current population. And the Vatican is on record saying that uh, there are at least 80% too many people. <laughs> so as for conspiracy theories, um, well, there are conspiracy realities going on. Heaven forfend, we might have theories as well. Uh, the theories from Ike and the like will be um, that we'll all be turned into lizards or it'll be organised by lizards. He, he really is thoroughly dishonest, utterly corrupt and totally self-interested. They're very clever. All very concerning, isn't it? My thanks to Greg and my thanks to you for listening. And Greg and I will be back this coming Sunday with our usual 20-minute topic podcast. Thank you for listening. Music